Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testifies about government censorship. That's as Democrats try to remove him during the hearing, while Republicans say it's his right to speak. A Senate panel advances a bill that would hold Supreme Court justices accountable for unethical behavior. Find out what senators are saying about it. The grand jury investigating January 6 to hear another witness testimony today. We bring analysis of the latest developments. A man desecrates the Quran at a protest in Sweden. And in response, Iraqis storm the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. And tornadoes, flash floods and extreme heat. Tens of millions of Americans are feeling the impact of extreme weather conditions. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified today alleging his vaccine safety remarks were censored by the government. NTD's Iris Tao has more on the polarized reactions from Capitol Hill. The topic of government censorship was at the center of a congressional hearing today as Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified amid backlash from Democratic lawmakers. It's a rallying cry for bigotry and hate. So now I'm subject to this new form of censorship, which is called targeted propaganda, anti-Semitism, racism. These are, are the most appalling, disgusting pejoratives, and they're applied to me to silence me. And Kennedy was invited by Republicans to testify in front of the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Government. But right after Kennedy's opening remarks, House Democrats moved, though unsuccessfully, to remove him. No to allowing a witness to degrade and is not speech others time. and violate the rules. Republicans called it ironic. Censor him literally in a hearing about censorship. The cognitive dissonance of that is deafening. It's insane. And the Republican chair of the committee says Kennedy's testimony. Help us expose and stop what's going on. This alliance, big government pressuring private entities to censor Americans. And that says the former New York Post editor who broke the Hunter Biden laptop story also testified alleging censorship. It was because it was true and it was a threat to the power centers in this country. But not everyone found the hearing worthwhile. I asked Democratic Congressman Jerry Connolly. Do you think today's hearing should be held at all? No. If you videotape this hearing, it could be a Saturday Night Live skit, except it's not funny. Reporting from the Capitol, Iris Howe and TD News. And the Democratic majority of a Senate panel today voted to advance a bill that requires the Supreme Court to adopt a binding code of ethics. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. In a party-line vote today, U.S. Senate Democrats advanced a bill that would make Supreme Court justices accountable for unethical conduct. Called the Supreme Court Ethics Recusal and Transparency Act of 2023, the bill sets new requirements for financial disclosures and requires recusal from cases in which a justice may have a conflict of interest. The Democratic-led Senate Judiciary Committee voted 11 to 10 to approve the legislation. Democrats condemned the ethics of some members of the high court. Chair of the committee, Senator Richard Durbin, a Democrat, said this act would bring all nine justices in line with every other federal judge in America. This legislation will be a crucial 
first step in restoring confidence in the court after a steady stream of reports of justice's ethical failures. Recent reports by ProPublica accused Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito of receiving lavish gifts and lucrative property sales, and accused Justice Sonia Sotomayor of failing to recuse herself from cases involving her book publisher. Durbin added, They are the most powerful judges in America, and yet they are not required to follow even the most basic ethical standards. Some Republican senators said the bill is an attempt by Democrats to smear the court. What you're trying to do is not improve the court, you're trying to destroy it as it exists. Ranking Republican Senator Lindsey Graham explained why he thinks Democrats want to destroy the court. Senator Schumer visits the court, goes over to the court a while back and says, I want to tell you Gorsuch, I want to tell you Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hits you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Throughout the lengthy debate, the committee rejected some proposals offered by Republicans, such as one that would expand the right of judges to carry firearms, and another that would impose restrictions on journalists who cover the Supreme Court. The bill now would need to pick up some Republican support to win passage in the full Senate, but it will likely have a tough time getting through the Republican-led House of Representatives. Steph? Thanks, Arlene. And next, we turn to the federal investigation into former President Trump and the events on January 6. The grand jury today was expected to hear witness testimony from William Russell, a former White House aide who now works for Trump's presidential campaign. It comes on the heels of news that Trump was told he's a target in the probe. Earlier today, I spoke with Lee Smith about this. He's the author of The Plot Against the President and hosts the epic TV program Over the Target. Lee, you've investigated the operations behind the Russia hoax, and last time we spoke, you lamented Trump's first indictment over the Stormy Daniels hush yeah. money payment. What are your thoughts on this latest development? Well, I mean, I think that they're just stacking on as much as they possibly can to destroy his candidacy. Um, you know, I mean, what, what's really interesting is if we pretend that we don't live in the United States and we step outside, let's say that we live in another universe and uh, we're looking at the United States, and they say, you know, these people say they have a representative democracy where they vote for their elected leaders. But as it turns out, it's, that's not really accurate, is it? Because it seems intelligence services are, are trying to choose uh, American leadership all the time. There was election interference in 2016, 2020, 2024. Do the American people actually understand what's going on there? And of course, the fact is that the American people are starting to get a pretty good picture of what uh, federal law enforcement authorities, as well as the intelligence agencies, are doing, how they're trying to uh, shape how this country actually works. Well. So Trump's criminal cases are expected to overlap with next year's presidential primaries, which you're pointing to, yeah. meaning that he may have to step away from the campaign trail for weeks at a time to appear in court. And Trump has said from the beginning that the charges against him are a form of election interference. Is that what yeah. you're saying here, too? Yes, absolutely. It, it's election interference. But, it, but it's not just election interference. I mean, that's specifically what it is, because we saw election interference in 2016 and 2020. But there's something else going on, too. Remember what the January 6 cases uh, and what the January 6 premise is all about. It's about insurrection and seditious conspiracy. It's all garbage, right? But what it's doing is it's saying the half of the country that supports Donald Trump 
is treasonous, right? Because that's who's behind insurrections, traitors, right? So this is the much bigger issue, much more dangerous issue that's coming out here. It's a, uh, uh, the, it's a project to divide the country. It's a project to set the country, um, uh, to set the country on course for actual conflict, right? So that's what these people are actually doing. It's not just interfering with the election. It's it's meant to have much uh, much larger, much more dangerous and and per, uh, not maybe, perhaps not permanent consequences, but very serious consequences that we uh, and our uh, and our families will be living with for many years to come. And yet, when it comes to this latest charge against Trump or investigation into Trump, Biden has said that he won't comment on any of the investigations or charges. I'm against Trump. I mean, he doesn't have to. It's it's his Department of Justice that's bringing the charges. I mean, what else is there to say? I approve? Of course he approves. Because a, a normal a normal person, a normal president would look at the situation and go like, well, no, 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 no. Of course, a normal American president, that is. If we were talking about, oh, I don't know, a third world nation, if we were talking about Pakistan, for instance, if we were talking about somewhere else, of course the president would send his law enforcement authorities after his uh, after his rival for the presidency. But in the United States, this doesn't happen. This isn't normal. A normal president would go, no, no, this is nuts. Of course, we're not going to do anything like that. But Joe Biden didn't say that. And the party that Biden is nominally the head of right now didn't say that. They didn't have it pointed out that this is a very serious problem and putting America in a very, very, very dangerous place. So Biden doesn't need to say a thing. Merrick Garland and his prosecutors, Jack Smith, I mean, they're doing all of Biden's, uh, they're doing all of Biden's work. He doesn't need to say a thing. Fascinating insights. Thank you so much, Lee Smith, the author of The Plot Against the President and host of Over the Target on Epic TV. An FBI file from 2020 was made public today, including a $10 million bribery allegation against then-presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son Hunter. It's in relation to the Ukraine energy company Burisma. It was a summary of conversations between the FBI and an informant dated July 30th, 2020. According to the file, during a meeting in 2015 or 2016, Burisma's chief financial officer told the FBI informant that the company hired Hunter Biden to, quote, protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. Hunter Biden was on the board of the company. Burisma was looking to buy an American company while under investigation by the prosecutor general of Ukraine at that time. While discussing the investigation, the owner of Burisma said Hunter Biden will, quote, take care of all those issues through his dad. This is according to the document. The Burisma owner was also quoted as saying that it cost $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to pay another Biden. Around the same time, Joe Biden, the U.S. vice president at that time, was pressuring Ukrainian officials to fire the prosecutor general of Ukraine. The FBI file was released to the public by Senator Chuck Grassley today. A lawyer for Hunter Biden and the White House did not respond to request for comment. In a shocking international incident, a Swedish protest involving the Quran has sparked backlash in Iraq. Angry protesters retaliated by storming the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. NTD's Jason Perry has that update. An Iraqi immigrant to Sweden got permission from police to burn the Quran in front of the Iraqi embassy. Swedish police stood nearby and provided security for the demonstration. 
But in regards of opinion of the applicant, we do not take any stand at all whatsoever. We just ensure that the public gathering can take place in a safe and proper way. The man, who appeared to have a Quran and an Iraqi flag, reportedly kicked and damaged the Quran but didn't burn it. And this isn't the first time the man did such a thing. He previously burned a Quran in front of a mosque in Stockholm last month, which sparked protest in Iraq and condemnation from the U.S. and several Muslim countries. But the reaction this time was much different. While the demonstration was going on in Sweden, hundreds of Iraqis stormed the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. Swedish security used water cannons to try to disperse the protesters and the demonstrators threw rocks at the Swedish security. The protesters eventually climbed over the walls and set the Swedish embassy on fire. One man was seen holding the sign of the Swedish ambassador's residence, while others gathered singing songs. The Swedish embassy said none of their staff was injured during the conflict. Sweden also condemned Iraq for not protecting their embassy. On the other hand, the Iraqi government condemned the attack on the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. But Iraq also pulled its interim ambassador from Sweden, and according to Iraqi state-run media, Iraq also suspended the working permit for a Swedish company. The protesters in Baghdad were followers of Iraqi Shiite religious leader Muqtada al-Sadr, who shared his thoughts on the situation. I call on the countries of the world to enact a law that criminalizes the burning of the Quran and make it a terrorist crime, just as anti-Semitism and offenses against the LGBT community are considered crimes. And State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said this. We condemn uh, such acts uh, as the burning of a Quran. We think they are abhorrent. But at the same time, we recognize the right for people to freely uh, exercise their, their uh, right to expression. Meanwhile, Muslims residing in Sweden had different reactions to the event. And I don't know why the law is like that. Like, how can they let him do this? Muslim, a true Muslim, we don't care so much about that because uh, it is not my duty to judge uh, a human being. Uh, it is God who will judge him. The Swedish government said it's considering legal changes that would allow police to stop public burnings of the Quran if they endanger Sweden's security. Jason Perry, NTD News. And Americans across the nation are bracing for extreme weather conditions. A tornado hit North Carolina yesterday, destroying a Pfizer plant. According to the National Weather Service, the tornado was at level EF3, or severe. It touched down in North Carolina Wednesday afternoon with peak winds of 150 miles per hour. It severely damaged a Pfizer plant, damaged several other structures, shut down Interstate 95, and injured at least 16 people. The tornado came amid other extreme weather conditions across America. Alerts for dangerous heat cover more than 100 million Americans across 16 states today. States from Michigan to South Carolina are expected to see large hail, and there are also flash flood warnings throughout the country. And coming up, a massive crowd in Washington, D.C. We hear from people who are calling for an end to the Chinese Communist Party's 24-year-long persecution against a spiritual group that promotes truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. And we examine the Chinese Communist Party's recent meetings with American contacts. Today, Xi Jinping met with veteran U.S. diplomat Henry Kissinger on a surprise visit to Beijing. A geopolitical analyst explains the significance of these meetings after the break.
A massive crowd in Washington, D.C. Spiritual practitioners are calling for an end to the Chinese Communist Party's 24-year-long persecution of Falun Gong. The practice is rooted in the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. But living by this faith is a crime under the Chinese regime. NTD's Melina Weiskop has that story. We're here in the heart of the nation where thousands of fallen Dafa practitioners have gathered to raise awareness and call for the end to the 24 year long persecution against this spiritual practice. We spoke to some of them who are here today who actually lived through this persecution in China. And she was arrested immediately and sent to the um, uh, detention center. By that time, I lost contact with my mom for two weeks. Her mom's sudden disappearance is only part of the story. Li Jing began the practice as a young girl at age 13, making social life difficult due to the CCP's propaganda campaign to squash the practice. So I felt um, isolated. Even though I know um, Falun Gong is righteous, I had to hide it from my new friends. And her story is one of millions. Even today, the pressure hasn't stopped for these spiritual believers. Some can't help but question why. Electrical batons to beat me. I lost my uh, consciousness. Well, we just uh, practice meditation. We try to do, uh, to do our best to be a good person. I believe that's the best. Uh, it's the universal values. Raising awareness in the streets of Washington, D.C., they hold signs reading, in the CCP, humanity's only hope is to improve morality. And Falun Dafa is great. It is up to us to stand up for those being persecuted in China and to make our voices heard. We also know there is growing evidence that the CCP is even harvesting organs from religious and ethnic minorities around the world. The House passed a bill recently to hold the CCP accountable for forced organ harvesting, of which Falun Gong practitioners are often the victims. Organ harvesting bill, which has the most realistic chance of being passed and sent to the president's desk for signature. Many speakers encouraged the spiritual practitioners to continue to stand up against this atrocity and thanked them for their courage in not letting the CCP wipe out the practice of Falun Dafa which has since spread to over 100 countries around the world. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The CCP's persecution of Falun Gong has drawn the attention of many in the U.S. In a special report, NTD's Steve Lance discussed the issue with Nina Shea, senior fellow and director of the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute. Here's a preview. I believe that there is evidence of genocide here in um, the way the Chinese Communist Party went after Falun Gong. Um, typically in a genocidal situation you have to have two things. One is under law, under international law, um, an expression of intent to eliminate a group, um, a religious group or um, ethnic group, in this case a religious group. Um, and you have to have evidence not of a total annihilation of that group because that's the whole point of international laws to avoid getting to that stage, but you have to have evidence of serious body, bodily harm um, to some degree. And we have both of those elements in this situation. Um, you have Zhang Zemin, the president of China, calling in, it was 1999, for the elimination, the total elimination of Falun Gong. 
and establishing an extra-legal uh, infrastructure within the party um, to carry that out. At the same time, you have um, uh, massive arrests, no oversight of the detention camps, disappearances, documented disappearances, documented killings where the um, family members would be presented with a box of ashes of their loved ones, you know, maybe weeks, months after they were taken away. And these reports, uh, and not only reports of speculation that they were uh, victims of forced organ harvesting, but testimony uh, from doctors and other prisoners and um, guards that this was happening, and testimony that there is um, organ screening, blood type taking in, uh, on a, as a routine basis on um, these prisoners of conscience. I've spent my entire adult life, uh, my entire career, looking at religious freedom, monitoring it around the world, uh, making sure it's a pillar of American foreign policy since the United States is a superpower. We have inordinate influence on other countries and we will affect uh, freedoms and religious freedom whether we act or not. Everyone is called to find meaning in their life and to find um, a set of beliefs to live by. And that's what's so insidious about this because it affects everyone. And in fact, in, in China, it is affecting every religious uh, group there, um, you know, whether it's the Uyghur Muslims, the Tibetan Buddhists, the Christians, and, and, or Falun Gong. The special report is available at ntd.com. It will stream on YouTube tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern and on NTD Broadcast Television this Saturday, July 22nd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. And China-based hackers have breached the email account of U.S. Ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, as part of a recent targeted intelligence-gathering campaign. According to the Wall Street Journal, the hack is believed to have compromised hundreds of thousands of U.S. government emails, which are unclassified. Daniel Crittenbrink, the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia, was also hacked. A State Department spokesperson said no additional information on the cyber attack will be shared at this time, due to security reasons. A heated discussion on Capitol Hill. Several Biden administration officials faced tough questions from lawmakers over their strategy on communist China. NTD Sam Wang brings us the latest. The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party held a hearing Thursday addressing the Biden administration's current approach in dealing with the CCP. Committee Chairman Mike Gallagher, a Republican, started off by praising several of the administration's policy measures in dealing with China. Secretary of State Blinken reiterated the determination that the CCP was committing genocide in Xinjiang. The administration levied historic export controls on advanced U.S. semiconductors and equipment going to the PRC. The administration then succeeded in aligning its policy with critical allies. The hearing comes on the heels of a visit to China by several top U.S. officials, aiming to put a stalled relationship back into motion. In a change of tone, Gallagher said that such a diplomatic approach has put Washington in a compromising position. And instead of holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable, the administration chased CCP diplomats around the world, seeking meetings in Beijing as if they, not the CCP, had something to apologize for. Representative Blaine Luktemeyer said that China is running on a surplus in its trade with the U.S. 
and that extra pile of cash in China's pocket could be used to subsidize the regime's military capacity and its human rights abuses. Here's this exchange with Thea Rosman Kentler, Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Export Administration. We're, we're funding by $382 billion of a deficit their activities. Would you not agree with that? We, we are aggressively attending with the, contending with a strategic trade th threat posed no, by China. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm, I'm tired of your flowery language this morning. Please answer the question. Washington recently stepped up restrictions on imports from China's Xinjiang region, using a law targeting forced labor in China. Two more companies have been added to the U.S. blacklist as a result. Despite all the heated moments, Chairman Gallagher said that both Republicans and Democrats are fighting for the same cause. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News. And while lawmakers debate their approach to China, the regime has been courting prominent Americans outside of Washington. Today, veteran U.S. diplomat Henry Kissinger meeting with China's Xi Jinping. Here to discuss the significance of moves like this is Brandon Weikert, a geopolitical analyst, senior editor at 1945.com, and the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. We spoke earlier today. Brandon, great to have you on the show. Kissinger, who's not representing the American government in an official capacity, received a much warmer welcome from Beijing than John Kerry this week. Beijing seems to be taking a kind of approach where they'll selectively engage with Americans who it perceives as friendly, such as Kissinger, such as Bill Gates, for example, whose company has a long history in China, rather than through official diplomatic channels. What do you think is behind these moves? And do you think that it's a deliberate strategy here? Yes, hello, thank you for having me. It is absolutely a deliberate strategy, and if we were smart, we would not follow that strategy. Clearly, Beijing wants America to do a deal, but they want it to be on their terms, so we should not be meeting them at all midway through this. But unfortunately, Joe Biden is going to do a deal, and Taiwan is going to be left out in the cold. You can rest assured of that. If we come back to Kissinger, he long championed the idea of inviting China to the international order, of fostering its growth so that it can become a responsible stakeholder. But now that China has become one of the biggest threats to the U.S., do you think that was a, the right approach to take? I I think the last 40 years of U.S. foreign policy toward China since accepting Mao's invitation to open up to them has been an unequivocal disaster, and it's going to lead us to a third world war, and it could very well lead to America's first military defeat in, in combat. The China threat is increasingly recognized as a bipartisan issue within the U.S. now, and both parties are likely to try to appear even tougher on the regime as the general election approaches. How do you see that impacting the U.S.-China relations going forward? Appearances are often deceiving, and I think that there's a lot of talk about standing tough and a lot of signals about being tough for the consumption of American voters. But I think China knows fundamentally they're going to get a deal with with Biden uh, on global warming in particular, which will have effects for the whole country, not just on global warming issues, but on trade, on economics, all of it. And in order to do that, they know they're going to be able to extract the concession of America basically um, downplaying its commitments to Taiwan. And that's exactly what Beijing wants. And you have to elect a Republican, either Trump or DeSantis, who's hawkish on China and who won't 
uh, you know, basically give in to China at the first push. And right now what we have happening is, yeah, Biden's putting on a big show of being Mr. Tough Guy, but it's just a show. Whereas with Trump, we actually have a history of his four years in office standing up to China on Taiwan. That was the first thing he did in the transition in 2016, uh, standing up to China on trade with agriculture. He got an actual deal out of China that was beneficial to American farmers in the long run and hurt China, standing up to China on tech. So we have candidates out there running for office in 2024 who, if elected, will stand up to China and will force them to be that responsible actor that Kissinger assures us they will be, but they won't be unless we hold their feet to the fire. Brandon Weikert, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Coming up, illegal immigrants in New York City now have to move out of the city shelters because there's no more room. Meanwhile, a new federal bill prohibits schools from being used as shelters. And there's now a winner for the billion-dollar Powerball lottery jackpot. NTD visits the store that sold the winning ticket. Stay tuned for that and more after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified in Congress on censorship. He says he's been censored online over his remarks about vaccines. Democrats on the committee unsuccessfully moved to prevent him from speaking. An FBI record was made public alleging that President Biden took bribes while serving as vice president. It alleges a $10 million deal involving Biden, his son Hunter Biden, and a Ukrainian business executive. Iraqi protesters stormed the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. This happened after a protest in Sweden involving the Quran. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger visits China and meets with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. An analyst tells us he believes the last 40 years of U.S. foreign policy towards China has been a disaster. New York City is telling illegal immigrants to move out of shelters provided by the city. That's because there's no more room. Meanwhile, a new bill bans public schools from sheltering illegal immigrants. Here's an update on immigration. New York City is giving adult illegal immigrants 60 days to move out of the shelters they've been provided with and find alternative housing. A Wednesday press release reads that immigrants who do not find alternative housing by the time their 60 days are complete will be required to reapply for a new placement at the arrival center. We have no more room in the city and we need help for the federal government. The mayor of the sanctuary city asked the federal government for financial support. He also asked for regulation which allows illegal immigrants to work. According to the press release, the policy will create critically needed space for arriving families with children seeking asylum, given there's an average of 300 to 500 people still arriving each day. The mayor also announced the city will distribute flyers at the U.S.-Mexico border, telling newly arrived migrants to consider another city. There are social media sites that are promoting New York City. We want people to be faced with the real reality at the border. The mayor says New York did more than any other city to support illegal immigrants, but added that they can't continue doing so without help from the federal government. 
Meanwhile, House lawmakers on Wednesday passed an immigration bill. It would ban public K-12 school facilities from being used as shelter for illegal immigrants. A New York representative introduced the bill earlier this month, which gained support from Republicans. Among them, New York Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. The problem is, if you look at New York City right now, you'll see that there are more illegal immigrants being housed in our shelters than American citizens. Walk down the streets of the city and you see homeless New Yorkers. Schools that fail to comply with the bill risk losing federal funding. It is also unclear if the bill will pass the Senate, where Democrats hold a slim majority. And ICE revealed new numbers this week regarding the so-called parole with condition policy. The policy allowed for illegal immigrants to be paroled into the United States under the expectation that they check in with ICE within 60 days. They were also supposed to receive a notice to appear. A federal judge blocked the policy in May, but Homeland Security still released over 2,500 illegal immigrants under the policy. They argued these individuals had already been processed. New numbers released this week show that out of those 2,500, over 40 percent never checked in with ICE after being released. And out of those who did check in, only 18 percent received a notice to appear. The judge who blocked the policy called these numbers troubling. Next. Only one ticket in the entire country matched all six Powerball numbers drawn Wednesday night. The winning ticket for the billion-dollar jackpot hails from California. NTD's Christina Corona spoke with the co-owner of the store that sold the ticket. Well, it's happened again. The $1 billion Powerball winning ticket was once again sold here in California. Las Palmitas Mini Market in downtown L.A. is filled with excitement and joy. The numbers from Wednesday night's game were 7, 10, 11, 13, 24, and Red Powerball 24. Las Palmitas Mini Market will now receive a bonus of $1 million from the California Lottery. We spoke with Angelica Menjavar, the co-owner of Las Palmitas Mini Market, who shares her joy about selling the winning ticket. We find out happy, you know, excited, but I think that we are more excited for the winner. Winner, winner, winner. So congratulations to the winner. We don't know if it's a girl, boy, guy, lady. We don't know yet. Nothing. So, but I feel that she or he would be so happy with this. And Helica told us her mom owns the convenience store and what their plans are with their $1 million bonus. She's really humble person, so she's like really happy too. So we are, as a family, we are so happy. No, 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 no. We don't have any plans yet. I think so. Life is keep going. So like any normal day, so keep going. Life is easy. So keep going, keep going, and moving on. That's it. Lottery officials said on Thursday morning that the mystery winner hadn't stepped forward to cash in the ticket yet, but has one year to claim the prize. We're standing here today wondering if the person who bought the ticket even realizes it yet. We won't know at the lottery, the public won't know until somebody comes forward and claims that prize. So they have to claim the prize and then go through a vetting process at the California Lottery to ensure they are the legitimate winner. If the winner chooses to take the lump sum, the cash value of the winning ticket is $558.1 million before federal taxes. This Powerball jackpot eluded players for three months before it was finally hit in the 39th drawing of the jackpot run. This was the third largest Powerball jackpot and sixth largest U.S. lottery jackpot ever won. Las Palmitas Mini Market struck luck when their store sold the $1 billion winning Powerball ticket, turning their small business into a celebrated destination overnight. 
Christina Corona, NTD News, Los Angeles. Here's what to do and what not to do if you win the Powerball with NTD Business's Don Ma. Now here with me is Lawrence Sprung, Wealth Advisor at Midland Financial. So apparently somebody just won a billion dollars in the lottery. You know, I got to say I'm, I'm a bit jealous, but, you know, I'm just, I just want to know, just in case I win in the future, right, what are the do's and don'ts? I mean, quitting your job immediately and telling everybody, you know, a good idea or a bad idea. Yeah, so thanks, Don, and uh, great question, and I'm here with you, so clearly I did not win either. So uh, otherwise, uh, I'd probably be speaking with my uh, attorney right now. So to go into that, you know, do's and don'ts. So I think the, the you know, the good rule of thumb is to keep things status quo for the time being, you know, make sure that you're not making any major lifestyle changes until you know how this is going to impact you and your family if you have a family, right? So a couple of the first people you would want to talk to uh, are your accountant, your uh, legal advisor, your legal counsel in terms of how to accept perhaps that uh, those winnings uh, and a wealth or financial advisor. I think those are going to be three key people that are going to be important in helping you navigate, you know, actually receiving the money, you know, the tax ramifications associated with it, and then how to position that money for the future for you and your family in a way that's going to be most beneficial to you. So basically, you shouldn't just go out and buy a $100,000 car. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I mean, there's going to be huge tax consequences as a result of winning the prize. And then there are many different ways, right? You could either accept it in the form of an annuity payment uh, or a lump sum. So that's also going to change things, you know, very much so in the way that it's a large sum of money. So chances are, if you do the right things and set yourself up in the right way, financially, you will be set. Uh, for life if you win a billion dollars as an individual. And you'll probably be able to set up your family for even multiple generations to come if you do things right. I think going out and spending, you know, significant dollars on a car, for example, you know, may put you in a position where you're on an unsustainable path that you don't want to be go from winning the billion dollar lottery and being on TV and then being on TV on one of those shows showing you how you won a billion dollars and then it went to zero in 10 years either, right? You gave us a couple of tips, but what's the concern here? Um, if you don't do this right, what's the consequences? So there are several consequences. One is obviously you can run through the money quickly, and I know I know that's hard to even imagine running through a billion dollars. But you know, once people know that you have won this lottery, people are going to come out of the woodwork, and you know that's a, a significant way that we see people losing wealth is friends, family, acquaintances come out of the woodwork. They need some help. Uh, so you have to be careful about that. You want to make sure that you're structuring it properly and you're protecting yourself. Uh, you know, there may be, depending on your state, there may be legal constructs in terms of how you accept that money. I'm not a lawyer, but there are legal constructs on how to accept the money in order to shelter it from potential liabilities or potential uh, what we call creditors or predators. So there, there are a lot, you know, when you have, when you go from a situation of being an average Joe to having a billion dollars, you're basically putting a target on your back and you want to do this in a strategic and thoughtful manner and in a way that's going to provide you with a, as little fanfare, believe it or not, as you possibly can. Well, all right. Maybe they should come to you. I don't know. Well, th but thank you so much today, Lawrence. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Up next, a group of lawmakers criticizes the Pentagon and other agencies for allegedly hiding information surrounding UFOs. They're now demanding transparency ahead of a congressional hearing.
And lab-grown meat is supposed to help the environment by emitting less greenhouse gas. But studies show they may indirectly emit more. Find out why when we come back. A bipartisan group of lawmakers today saying they want more information and less secrecy surrounding UFOs. The representatives accuse various government agencies of suppressing important information. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more. There are a lot of people who don't want this to come to light. Republican Congressman Tim Burchett is leading a House Oversight Committee hearing on Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAPs, next week. On Thursday, he and a bipartisan group of committee members talked about the upcoming hearing. We're going to have witnesses who can speak frankly to public about their experiences. We've had a heck of a lot of pushback about this hearing. We've had members of Congress who fought us. We've had members of the intelligence community and also the Pentagon. Even NASA backed out on us. Among the witnesses will be former Navy Commander David Fravor. He shot a leaked video showing an unidentified flying object suddenly disappear into the water off the coast of San Diego. Three House Republicans recently visited a Florida Air Force base. The goal was to meet with pilots about their sightings. However, the Pentagon last minute prevented the group from meeting the pilots and didn't show them sensitive information. If the Department of the Air Force, if the Pentagon thinks that they're above Congress, they have something else coming to them. Just this week, Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer and Republican Senator Mike Rounds introduced an amendment to this year's defense budget. The amendment would require government records related to UFOs to be declassified and disclosed. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Could lab-grown meat be worse for the environment than real meat? Studies from Oxford and UC Davis suggest that it could be. NTD's Faye Quarter explains how. One of the key goals of lab-grown meat is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere. But studies have shown that producing it could be even worse for the environment than real meat by emitting even more greenhouse gas. A recent study from UC Davis found that lab-grown meat could be orders of magnitude worse than real meat. This is because, using current methods, it takes an immense amount of energy to grow this meat in the lab. Electrical energy from burning fossil fuels puts carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. In particular, growing meat requires highly purified growth media. Animal cells are placed into this media inside bioreactors. The growth media contains nutrients, which help the animal cells grow and multiply. The researchers found that purifying this growth media causes 4 to 25 times more emissions than producing real meat. An earlier study from Oxford had the same conclusion. Its researchers found that maintaining the environment that the meat grows in involves a massive amount of energy. Traditional meat-making methods emit greenhouse gases when animals emit methane through their digestive process. While methane is a greenhouse gas, it stays in the atmosphere for about a decade. Meanwhile, the carbon dioxide that laboratories use to grow meat remains for centuries to millennia. Faye Quarter, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. But that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.